The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. This is actually a special AI Today podcast episode. I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. Today, we're going to be talking about how AI is helping to fight global pandemics. As you can imagine, we are in a global pandemic right now. And so we wanted to spend some time on this special podcast talking about how AI is helping to detect COVID, fight COVID, help remote workers, and then also how it can be used to help predict the economic impact that this is going to have. Yeah, so if you are not been paying attention to the news, or maybe you're actually listening to this podcast probably a year from now, it's possible people are listening to our podcast even way back to the year 2017. Well, where we are right now here, when we're recording this podcast in 2020, we're in the midst of a global pandemic that has really impacted the whole world, you know. Starting in China, the coronavirus, this latest iteration of the coronavirus, which is called COVID-19, is a strand of illness that has been known that's particularly infectious and has a fairly high mortality rate because it's a respiratory illness. It's related to other respiratory illnesses like MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and SARS, the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Usually, you know, we've been dealing with these sort of epidemics that have happened sort of in regional places and sort of dealt with them as part of our general healthcare system. But this time around, it has impacted the world and it's traveling at such a high rate that it's something the whole world has paid attention to. And Mm -hmm. we've dealt with it with some pretty significant measures, right? Everything from, you know, you can't leave your house and you, you, you know, social distancing and all these things that are really trying to reduce the impact and spread of this very pernicious virus. Right. Because this disease spreads quickly, like you said, and it's affected basically every single part of the world. So right now it has a presence in 187 countries, which is just about every single country in the world. And the total number of cases as of this podcast is rapidly approaching half a million. And that's people that have actually been tested and Mm -hmm. tested positive for coronavirus. And then there's also been over 20,000 deaths recorded worldwide as well, which is just devastating. So as you can imagine, you know, this is very widespreading, fast spreading, and it's affecting everybody in every aspect of life. And that's why we felt it was important today to have a podcast devoted to this. So Ram gave a little bit of background about what is COVID-19, but how can we detect it and how can we use AI to help Mm -hmm. detect and treat? COVID. Right. Because at the moment, you know, there's no vaccine for COVID. So the things that we're trying to do are now just trying to mitigate it. You know, they're trying to prevent people from spreading this disease or we're trying to find ways to treat it. And also there's all these other impacts that COVID is having because it's forcing people to work from home. So we now have this great experiment where 90% of the workforce is a work from home workforce. We've never had remote workers in these quantities, but it's also having a tremendous economic impact. You know, every in-person event that's happening right now has been canceled. So no South by Southwest this year, at least so far, you know, none of these other big events. And so people are like moving on to online conferencing. Well, that's having another impact on the internet systems. And so we're having economic impacts, healthcare impacts, and of course, impacts on everything. So of course, you know, the one place for us to start first is that AI is such a transformative technology that it can help with all these factors. It can help with the economic, the internet, and of course, the healthcare impacts. And so starting with the most important, let's focus on how AI 
AI is actually working to help find and, and cure and find treatments for COVID and potential cures for treatment. And so there's been a lot of interesting activity happening. As you can imagine, we have great data scientists who work at these amazing technology companies who have a huge amount of data and tons of compute power. And you can bet that they are applying that intelligence and those that experience to the challenge of finding treatments for COVID. So we have some examples from companies that have already announced their various things. We'll tell you about some of the things that have been out and announced so far. Right. So one company, DeepMind, which listeners, I'm sure that you might have heard us talk about in previous podcasts, they were acquired by Google. They recently put on the internet the sequencing of six protein structures that are linked to COVID-19. And it's too early to verify these results, but it's hopeful that companies like this are working and trying to figure out solutions. Mm -hmm. Also, the White House recently put AI researchers, they're tasking them to help figure this out because this is truly a global pandemic. So the United States was a little bit slow on the uptake of COVID-19, but the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy has urged researchers to employ AI to find solutions to this COVID problem. So that's promising that we're hearing the government say, you know, researchers, please put efforts into this. So as you can imagine, one of the things they're doing is they're publishing data sets and they're publishing sort of these outputs of their machine learning and sharing it, which is great. I mean, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, which is the United States is, this is how we approach, you know, pandemics and epidemics and any public health care. We have our CDC and every nation has their own CDC and the World Health Care Organization, well, WHO, you know, they're basically all pushing researchers to look into this. You know, there's 29,000 research documents all that ha- have already been produced at the time of this recording. And they need analysis, you know, because we've got lots of data, right? We have data from the hospitals, from the treatment facilities, from the labs. You know, we have tons of medical imaging. We got all this stuff and needs to be scrutinized. It's like sort of the, the big experiment. You know, we have tons and tons of data now. We have real, we don't even need to have synthetic data. We got legit real data from right. people who need actual treatment. And they, and for those of you familiar with Kaggle, which is sort of a way to share and get data scientists to solve problems, there's a Kaggle Cord 19, which is an AI challenge that has been pushed online that helps to seek help from interdisciplinary fields. So even if you're not in medicine, if you're like, you know, doing predictive analytics for a supply chain, you can participate in this challenge to help provide input into the data set as part. So this is a way, a way to, to speed up this challenge. And coincidentally, so in addition to this, Kathleen and I also host the AI and Government Meetup event series, which is usually held in Washington, D.C., but just like most event organizers, we've brought it online. And at our March AI and Government event, we had two guests from the Centers for Disease Control who talked about a crowdsourced approach to machine learning. So it seemed this approach to basically putting data sets out there, challenging the general population, having them build machine learning models, and then using that rather than trying to build your own internal data team and, you know, build your own internal data set and kind of like, you know, keep everything behind the wall. In situations like this, where you need to get as much help from as many people, this approach to crowdsourcing seems to be getting increasingly more popular. Yeah, you know, and that was an interesting point that you brought up because some people say yes to crowdsourcing, some people say no. But in times like these, you know, you can really get a lot of value from that as well. So it is really a good approach. We're also seeing, you know, 
We talk about all the time that data is at the heart of AI and that machines are really good at processing large amounts of data very quickly. And this is proving handy in situations like this. You know, Ron mentioned that there's 29,000 research documents that need to be analyzed and scrutinized. Could you imagine if humans had to go through and do that? I mean, that would take forever and we would be even farther behind. We're also seeing companies and startups who are looking to, you know, we said that there's no vaccine for this drug yet. And I think that that's another reason that people are just so scared and uncertain about this because there's no vaccine. We can't get immunized for this. So what do we do if we don't have vaccines? Well, we look to other medicines to say, hey, will these have similar effects? Can these treat this? And so we're using AI to help figure that out. We can identify compounds and cellular pathways that allow this virus to replicate and then figure out what drugs we can use to help block that. These are really powerful things that we can be doing right now. And startups are, which is very exciting to see. Yeah, there have already been two startups, maybe even more, that are trying to, they're using AI and and actually really machine learning and its power of pattern matching to basically find existing treatments that may be used for other things. It may be anti-malarials or other transfer anti-parasite matching. They have been able to find to see if they can simulate, rapidly simulate using maybe the the goal-driven systems pattern as well as the patterns and anomalies to basically find different compounds that could be used to treat the effects. And the big effect, of course, of the COVID virus is it's all of its respiratory effects. It causes pneumonia and it causes all this inflammation and causes pre- people that have trouble, especially underlying conditions or people who are older, you know, just have a hard time combating this. And there are treatments that can help with that. You know, some of these companies have identified multiple compounds that could be used to block the various pathways that allow the virus to replicate or can provide some other treatments to it. There's another company that is trying to find a vaccine, trying to find a vaccine for COVID-19. And, I mean, one of these companies in Silico Medicine basically has a drug discovery platform and a potential list of molecules from that are you know, thousands to maybe even hundred of them. So what they do with these is they try to go through all these iterations and try to find things that match best rather than sort of the traditional approach, which would obviously use more laboratory-based approaches or, or just approaches where people are using the knowledge that they have. So this, this is an interesting method and we think can be very helpful in this fight to find a treatment or a potential cure for global pandemics like coronavirus and then, of course, specifically COVID-19. Right. Now, another area where we're seeing, you know, companies and people and researchers focus is detecting people who might be sick. If you guys have been paying attention to the news, you know that there's some countries, some regions are better at testing than others. Some countries have shortages of the tests, and so they're really limiting who they're testing. That can have an impact because you can be walking around with this disease, but you know, and not know that you have it not with this virus. And so you can be unintentionally affecting other people. Even though we're supposed to be socially distancing, that can live on surfaces. We still need to go to the grocery store. We still need basic goods and services. We still need to survive. So, you know, we can't fully go on a total isolation and lockdown. There's still things happening. So how do we detect if people have COVID, if we don't have enough tests. And people have been trying to figure this out. They want to say, you know, can we detect between just a common case of pneumonia and COVID-19 so that we know that we can treat these patients differently? If you have pneumonia, you're going to show certain symptoms. With COVID-19, you may show very similar symptoms, but the treatment is different. So we have researchers and companies that are looking at that. We've also talked about how AI is really good at medical imaging. And we're seeing that put to use 
with this. Mm -hmm. That AI is able to read CT scans to help diagnose COVID-19. This is important because this is just one extra line of defense that we have. You know, this is one extra set of eyes that we can use to look at this. And it can be very rapidly looked at. We don't need to have a backlog of doctors looking at this. So this can just continue to help. And I'm sure that everybody in the medical profession right now is probably tired. They're working their butts off. And, you know, to have this extra set of eyes is very important in times like this. Mm -hmm. There actually was already a study that was published already in the journal Radiology that looked at the uh, use of deep learning for actually detecting and accurately detecting COVID-19 and differentiating it from other forms of pneumonia. And we'll link to that study because it's a published study from a research firm. And and basically, the study looked at over 4,300 CT exams from 3,300 over 3,300 patients, and it developed a deep learning neural net so that it would spot it quickly. So because the challenge, and we talked about this, I think, in previous podcast episodes, is that radiology imagery needs to be read by a radiologist generally. And, you know, you can imagine in situations like this, especially in countries like Italy, which are right now struggling very heavily with the issues of COVID-19, they just don't have a lot of staff. And so to have AI sitting there as an extra read, as an extra pair of eyes, as a first pair of eyes, is really helpful to say, no, this does not look like COVID-19. Now, of course, you may want the second read to be absolutely sure, but it helps with triaging and clearing out patients. And so you can focus on the ones that, that say, yes, this is for sure that pattern. But there's more that we can, we can do. We can obviously, AI is, is, has been getting better and better at looking at things like radiology imagery, but you can even like, we can use other forms of unstructured data like sound and you're like, huh, that's sound. So, you know, there have been researchers at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst have been listening to coughs and they have created a machine learning system that can identify the pattern of coughs and compare them and may compare when you combine that with thermal imaging and thermal output, you can actually say, oh, this sounds like somebody who may have more severe cough than your traditional cough. We'll see how that works out. I mean, obviously, this is currently early stages for that, but it's another interesting application of AI and machine learning to this problem in ways that maybe people may not have thought about. And we can apply AI in other ways, looking at other kinds of imaging, not just medical imaging, but just even taking pictures of people and thermal imaging, right? There are some interesting cases where people are using facial recognition systems that are usually used for, you know, security situation or any sort of facial recognition application and using the thermal imaging part to identify people who may have a fever, which is also one of those signs of illness. And maybe this will be used in public places like in airports or in outside locations or perhaps in in high traffic spots to identify people who may need to be screened in some way before you actually actually approach some check-in line or some point. So these are interesting ways that people are using sort of traditional, if you will, approaches to AI, but applied to this area of dealing with this, this global pandemic. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I think that people have mixed feelings on using facial recognition technology and surveillance technology in general. But when you apply it to these situations, you know, listeners, it's always interesting to hear what you guys think of this as well. So please chime in, reach out to us on our email or LinkedIn about this because you can track people with thermal imaging to say, hey, this person has a fever, this person doesn't, and kind of, you know, publicly shame them and call them out to say, hey, why are you outside? You shouldn't be outside. You're showing signs of a fever. You may be, you know, unintentionally or intentionally affecting other people. Go back in your house, go on lockdown. 
So it's interesting, you know, that we're using these approaches and maybe some people think that, well, this isn't okay to use for everyday life. But when we're in global pandemics like this, yes, now I've changed my mind. I think that we should be deploying it. So, you know, it's interesting that these efforts and these tactics have been used. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, people are really just concerned about the potential for what this could do. So these are interesting, interesting use cases on how people are actually applying AI technology. Yeah. We also, you know, okay, so now we've had COVID-19 and it's out there. And so we're trying to, you know, get in front of it because it's already out there. There is no vaccine. There is no, you know, cure for this. How do we fix this? How do we go forward? So we're dealing with that right now. But how can we learn from this to help predict future outbreaks so that we can be a little bit more ahead of it next time? Because unfortunately, within our lifetimes, there probably, maybe will be another outbreak of something like this. Yeah. And, you know, there have actually been startups before that have tracked things like social media to identify potential, you know, the growth of the flu and other things. As a matter of fact, we actually know personally uh, a company based like in our own area that's actually that had that exact model. been doing it for years, actually, before even AI did just look at listening to social media. But there are other companies now that are trying to say, look, if we just had this early warning and we can detect the anomaly, right? So like, okay, this is not your typical flu pattern or your typical illness pattern. This is some, something is growing here at an uncontrollable rate or something has this potential for spread. It could, you know, trigger those alarms. So we've talked all the time about the patterns and anomalies is a you know, pattern of artificial intelligence, which is really, which is much more sophisticated than just applying a formula, which is the, I think the way that most folks would do it now. If you're a traditional epidemiologist, you have formulas for growth and blah, blah, blah. But things happen at rates that are unpredictable, because obviously, if you could predict it, we would, you know, not be in this situation. So AI is being applied by many folks, a couple of startups and some large companies to provide early warning notification when things are growing at a rate or there's a problem that's growing at a rate that cannot be achieved. And there's some companies, well, we could talk about some of those and you can look in the press about that. But I think that is one of those things. But there's other aspects of predictive and the predictive pattern, the predictive maintenance, sort of the predictive analytics pattern of artificial intelligence, which goes even beyond just the issues of tracking you know, epidemics that can become pandemics. And that is that people just behave differently. <laughs> people behave very much differently in a pandemic than they do in a normal situation. That throws a lot of things that you may have been using for your prediction of your supply chain and other issues. And we're going to spend actually some more time talking about that in our bonus episode. So we encourage you to listen to that. But one of the things, of course, is handling this wave of healthcare claims, which is growing. Also, there's some other things that are happening that are waves. There are waves of as the economic system is slowing down in some places of the world. There have been, you know, growth in unemployment filings. There have been growth in and actually home refinancing as sort of interest rates dropped in the United States in particular. And this has impacted a huge crunch. And the challenge of all this is that this growth in healthcare claims, insurance claims, unemployment claims, and of course, you know, re house refinancing is happening when the workforce is at home, <laughs> mm -hmm. which sort of doubles up and triples up that problem. And so interestingly, while we often talk that technologies such as robotic process automation, which aren't actually AI, they're more about, you know, task automation, but that's a way of moving towards more cognitive forms of automation, this will actually most likely kick 
the motivation for using RPA much, much farther because now people are looking at ways to automate these processes when they have a high reduced employee availability, but an even greater task and workload that they need to do. And so this right. we're actually going to keep a close eye on what's going to happen on this the motivation and growth of RPA for a lot of these human-based processes, right? And when we talk about RPA, you know, we always say, okay, so you're automating repetitive tasks that you're doing. But when you're doing this, don't just automate it. Think about the process and the flow and what exactly it is you're doing and make sure that it's efficient. And I think that this is going to make people really rethink some of their Do humans always need to be in the loop for this? Can we do electronic signatures versus in-person signatures? Is this going to be allowed? Can we change different, you know, ways of doing things? And I think this is going to really have people rethink processes, hopefully for the better and make them more efficient, you know, cut out some of that unnecessary steps that don't need to happen. And people are quickly realizing that they don't need to happen because like Ron said, we're not working face to face anymore as more people work from home. Another thing that that's causing when people are working from home is we have growth of video conferencing and chatbots because if we're not face to face, but we want to still see our coworkers and, you know, we still need to collaborate, maybe have virtual whiteboards, things like that. We need to do that via video conferencing. And I don't think that we've ever strained our internet and our tools and platforms as much as we have been in the past few weeks. And for the most part, things have been going pretty smoothly. I know that, you know, sometimes there's been some internet blips and platform blips. People get logged off or, you know, but overall, I have to say that, you know, it's it's been a very positive thing to see that we can all work from home on such short notice and really continue to get things done. Yeah. And I think part of it is that this is another great experiment. This pandemic is actually giving companies the opportunity, if they want to think about it that way, or maybe maybe the forced opportunity to really think about having a highly virtualized distributed global workforce. And we've been on many, many calls <laughs> with, with the customers where they have to change the way they have to access information. You know, everything has changed. You know, if you're working, let's say, at a government agency, let's let's say like the IRS, and it's also t- almost tax season, you can't take your work home with you for a lot of practical reasons. So that means that a lot of that job cannot get done. And so then that they're trying to figure out, oh, well, how can you get that, make your job happen in a situation where you have restricted access to information? Now, a lot of that has nothing to do with AI. But the part that does have to do with AI is the whole increased use of chatbots and conversational assistance. And we're starting to see a growth in that, in part because when people are calling government agencies and other companies right now, they're looking for service. You can imagine the growth of e-commerce right now. Everybody's buying stuff online. People are expecting deliveries, you know, even for everything from food to basic necessities, but now government services. And so there's a high pressure now on the growth of chatbots. Now, there's the chatbots that are focused on things like customer support and, you know, order information or even IT support. So if you're working from home and you can't get access to your system, you want to call your company or your agency's IT support line. Well, guess what? They're not answering that phone. So we're seeing a big growth in automated IT support and IT customer support. This is one of the unintended consequences of this pandemic. Of course, we're seeing a lot of chatbots that relate to health. I mean, you know, Microsoft recently released their healthcare bot service, you know, which was in in partnership with the CDC. I'm sure they're not the only ones, you know, where you can basically say, do I have this illness? And this is not going to go away. Do they think they're going to turn that service off, you know, three, four, five months from now? No, I think what's going to end up happening is that people are going to start to get used to it. 
And instead of calling their doctor necessarily and asking for a visit because of some symptom, maybe the next thing you'll do is you'll get the chatbot, you get the app, you'll, you know, take pictures or you have conversations, you do whatever you have to do. And the bot will basically do sort of like the thing that the when you go visit like an urgent care facility, you know, the things that they do, which is that, you know, sometimes they just take your temperature and they ask you questions and they jot things down and they're like, oh, sounds like you have this and that. And sometimes you do need to be referred to a doctor and sometimes you don't. And so to lessen the load on healthcare systems, the growth of these kinds of chatbots in the world of the highly remote workforce really, really makes a lot of sense. And I think we're going to start to see people who may have doubted how useful these chatbots and these virtual assistants and these automated systems are, are now being forced to use them whether or not they like them. And it's even impacting areas of education. But we will get to that in our bonus episode, which we encourage you to listen to after this episode. Yes, definitely. I'm excited for that bonus episode to dive deeper into some of those issues. But, you know, as you mentioned, with use of chatbots and online tools and resources and how in some companies may have been resistant to it before. It's going to be interesting to see how we move forward because nobody can predict how long social distancing is going to actually be around. Could it be just a few more weeks? Could it be a few more months? And as we continue in with this new reality, People's behaviors change and shift. And I think that when we used to go to conferences, you would shake everybody's hand and you would be in close proximity to everybody and seats were very close. Are we going to see this shifting and that we're not doing that as much anymore? And so people's first line of defense would be to go to a healthcare bot rather than go into an urgent care or a crowded facility with sick people. Because if they're not sure what their symptoms are, or if it's something small, you know, say that you think you have bronchitis or you have a cut that you are not sure if it requires stitches or something like that, you know, it's it's not life ending, but you just you need to get treatment at some point. You say, okay, well, let me my first line of defense is going to be I'm going to go to the bot instead of go into a facility. And will that change people's behaviors going forward in general? Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot. I mean, this is sort of our conjecture. I, I think this, this is sort of a, a world changing moment, just like, you know, 9-11, for those of you that have been through it, was actually a world changing moment, even though, it, you know, you might think, well, it really just impacted, you know, the United States and it impacted maybe Afghanistan. A couple, it actually changed the whole world's posture on security. After that date, you can't just walk on. You can't do half of the things that you were doing before 9-11 because people realize, holy cow, we, we don't have systems. It just the whole system was not set up for that situation. We are now making that same realization with this global pandemic. Of course, we're saying the healthcare systems are not set up for this. Look at this. We have to shut down almost entire economies to deal with a medical issue, right? And this is kind of, you might think to yourself, that's actually a little kind of crazy, right? That we're, that we're having to do that. But that's because that's the only, right now, that's the only effective tool we have. Clearly, AI and all the ways that we just talked about it can address, you know, now AI is going to be able to use that for early detection. Early AI will be used for speeding up cures. AI will be used to help in many ways that are directly related to healthcare. But just like the 9-11 situation changed the global world's understanding of security, this is also changing the global world's understanding of the workforce, which is the, I think, the greater impact of the pandemic. Because we've always had ways of dealing with health situations, but we've never had this world experiment where what if you took the whole world and took 
a very high percentage of the workforce and you distributed them and they said, don't come to the office, but do your work anyways. And you told mothers and fathers and parents and you know, to say, hey, keep your kids at home and educate them at home. This is the experiment that we're working on right now. And of course, it has a, I think it has a much, much bigger impact. We're going to come out of this and say a lot of the things that people may have had by conjecture, we now have by experience. You know, one of those things, for example, is going forward, I think the future of in-person events will probably change. I mean, I don't think they'll go away. I mean, because people always want to, to see people in person and they want to experience things in person. But I think every event, my guess is that going forward, every event will have to have an online component that is just as valuable as the in-person component, because for two reasons. One, people realize that, well, the online components seem to be working, so we might as well use them. But two, it gives the, you don't have to end up canceling the whole event, right? So I think it's going to be a big kick for those who are in remote learning business, people who are in the remote, all those things, you know, remote team building, remote team, all of those industries will see a rapid expansion, I believe, we believe, in this year. And we may have to update our predictions, our AI predictions for 2020. We may revisit them halfway through the year and see if anything has changed in this new world. But we want to encourage you to join us on the bonus just to give you a little highlight. There are some things we haven't talked about. There's too many things to talk about in this podcast. We will give you a specific example of what's happening in China and what China did and what China has done to basically really crank down on the situation here. So we'll tell you about some specific things there. We'll talk about some things that are happening with the drone industry. We'll talk a little bit about predicting what's happening with supply chain, a little stuff about AI for predicting the economic impact. So we encourage you to, if you go to AIToday.live, AIToday.live, you'll be able to go and listen to the bonus podcast episodes. Please register on our site to listen to that. And not only will you get that, but you'll get all sorts of other information from Cognolytica. It's at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. Yes. And listeners, as we said, you know, we think that this is changing everything. This is changing conferences. This is changing education. This is changing online learning. Speaking of that, Cognolytica does run in virtual, a live virtual training on CPMAI methodologies for AI. So if you and your company are looking how to do AI right, we encourage you to check that out. These are monthly courses. They last for one month. We run them on Wednesdays and Fridays for two hours each. And we've had a big upswing of registrations, as you can imagine, as people are still seeing the need for online education. So you can go to cognolitica.com slash training to learn more. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.